Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Does anybody here remember when I was up here last, it was a few weeks ago, the title of the message that I preached? I have a prize for you if you remember this. I don't have a prize for you. Okay, I don't have a prize for you, but good job. Jesus in the mist. That's correct. And we started going over the book of James. We went James chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. And this is going to be a series. We're continuing on the book of James today. So this, again, is Jesus in the midst, part 2. We're part 2 because now we're continuing to finish the book of James today. Actually, chapter 1. We're finishing chapter 1 today. Um, So we're going to be continuing through it. It's going to be part 2 of the series. If you haven't heard the first part... I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. it was, we had such a good time in the Word with James. He has such great information. Uh, so before we get to today's preaching and we start through verses 16, let's do a little bit of a recap of what we learned from verses 1 through 15 in the book of James. Uh, so we remember James was talking about seeking wisdom from God, seeking wisdom from the Lord. And in verse 5, he said it. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So God gives wisdom generously to those who ask for it and for those who seek it. Then James went on to say, uh, we started learning about faith and unbelief. Faith and unbelief. And in verse 6 he said, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So faith and unbelief. Then we also learned enduring under trials. And this verse was verse 2. is probably one of the more popular verses that is in the book of James. And it says to count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. And James is really just setting foundation here on the joy that we see through our hardships, if you guys remember that. And we ended that preaching with temptations. And James says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial or temptations, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who. Who love him. So persevering under temptation was such a crucial part of our walk as believers today. Wouldn't you agree? Because temptation is just everywhere. And you guys have experienced it. I have experienced it. There's nobody walking this earth today that has not experienced temptation. Even Jesus experienced temptations. So James says those who stand the test will receive the crown of life. And I'm sure that you've heard it. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Right? This is, we're in this for the long haul. This is not just a short season of our life that we're in church and then we're done with church. No, but pursuing Christ is something that is forever. So, so much great information that we went through in the book of James, just in the first chapter, in the first 15 verses. And like I said, if you haven't heard that preaching, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. The title is Jesus in the Mist. You can see it on YouTube or on the podcast. So, Let's get to it today. If you could turn with me to James chapter 1. We're going to be starting at verse 16. 
And what I want to do, I want to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to read through 16 through 26 really quick. So you guys already have the word just stirring in your minds and in your hearts. So he starts off with this at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looked like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word, Lord Jesus. Lord, I just pray that everything of me is taken out, Lord. That no opinion holds true here today. The only thing that holds true is your word, Father God. So I pray, Lord, that we are blessed by this message, Lord. I pray that we receive what it is that you want us to hear today. So we thank you, Lord. And today, God's people say yes and Amen. So much great information to go over this morning. A lot of information to go over this morning. And in James, this book of James has really rocked me. As I start getting deep into the scriptures and I really start studying and analyzing what James is saying, it's just something that is so important to the life of the believer today. So I hope that you're blessed by this. So let's start verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And we could stop right there. I know that was kind of quick. So much to say with that first verse alone. Do, don't be deceived. And I wish I would have done research on this, on how many times the words don't be deceived is written in the Bible. I could tell you it's numerous times. So many different authors across the New Testament say, don't be deceived. And we've seen this throughout Scripture, where the writer is saying, don't be deceived. And we know that deception is the work of the enemy. He comes and he tries to confuse, and, and this has actually happened since the beginning of time. Deception is nothing new, and we see it in the book of Genesis. He deceived Eve. He tried to confuse her with the fruit on the tree, and he comes to instill a doubt in your mind. Genesis chapter 3, it says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, check out, how, check out how Satan comes. He says to them, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You see what he's doing? He's instilling doubt. He's questioning what God is telling you. 
And in verse 2 it says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of these trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And, and, and look, what, look what the serpent says. But the serpent said to the woman, You surely are not going to die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's all it takes. It takes a bit of doubt where you question what the Lord says. Deception is nothing new. From the beginning, man fell through deception. And like I said, it takes a hint of doubt. Something small for us to entertain. And then the enemy will wrap himself around you. We see the confusion just among this country today. And I could stand up here and I could preach to you about the confusion that's going on in the world today. I'm sure you guys are aware of it. The enemy is at work. He's deceiving people. He's deceiving children. He's deceiving parents. Deceiving political leaders. He has ingrained himself in all aspects of the world. Why? To keep them confused. He wants to keep people confused. This next generation... They're twisted up inside. That's his goal. That's the enemy's mission, to deceive. He wants people confused. And for us Christians, he wants us to be confused. He wants us to be confused on God's word, on God's promises. He just wants that seed of doubt planted in our minds. And once it's planted, we've given him the open door. And that's where the wreckage begins. When you open up that door. He's going to twist his way around your mind. He's going to twist his way around your heart. And by the time you know it, you're consumed in darkness. So the enemy's going to try. He wants to confuse. The world is going to try. The world wants to confuse the Christian. And why? Why does the world want to confuse you? It's because they're under the dominion of the deceiver. Jesus speaks on it. And he's even deceived people in the church. He has twisted the gospel for some people. I don't know how, how much you've looked into this, or, or maybe some of you have experienced this yourself. We know that there is a false gospel that's being preached in the United States today, correct? There is a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus. And I won't get too much into it. If you want to talk to me about it after, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. But there is a gospel that is very very dangerous. I don't know if you guys know who this is. His name is Vodi Bakum. He is an amazing, amazing preacher. He's a theologian. This man, the wisdom that he has is so amazing. And he said this story that I thought was very interesting. I wanted to share it with you. So Vodi Bakum says this, that there is a man walking through a strawberry patch one day with his son. And his son loves strawberry slushies. He loves strawberry slushies. He's been drinking strawberry slushies forever. But it's funny because he's drinking a strawberry slushie that has no real strawberries in it. It's not real. So when the dad, when dad comes and gives him a real strawberry, he hates it. He doesn't like the taste of real strawberries. He didn't want the real thing. He wanted the slushy because that's what he's been drinking his entire life. 
strawberry slushy. He wanted the artificial sweetener. He wanted the strawberry syrup. He wanted nothing to do with the real fresh strawberries. You guys know about artificial sweeteners, how bad they are for you, right? I fall guilty to artificial sweeteners. I like Splenda. Don't crucify me. I like Splenda a lot. But Splenda's not that good for you, right? Real sugar is actually better for you than Splenda is. So we know that the real strawberry, the fresh strawberry, it's better. It's better for your body. It's better for your health. It has real sustenance. It has more nutritional value. It has more vitamins. It has more antioxidants. We're going to digest it better. It's going to be overall nourishing for you, the real strawberries. And that's what we see with the gospel. We've seen a slushy style gospel. That's what's preached in many pulpits around the world. A slushy style gospel. People given a gospel that isn't real. It sounds nice and it feels nice, but it's not real. It's damaging to the world. It's damaging to the church because it's not nourishing your soul. It's not nourishing your soul. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. He says this, For I delivered to you as a first importance. He's saying the message that I first gave you is the most important one. What he also received, what I received. And he says this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And look what he says in, in Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than the one that you have heard from me, let him be accursed. So Paul is saying, even if an angel comes... And he tells you something different than what I have preached to you. Christ crucified. Let them be accursed. Because Paul recognized that there's a false gospel going around. And times have not changed. Times haven't changed. A false gospel was preached back then. And a false gospel is being preached today. You see, but the true gospel is Christ and Christ alone. Christ crucified, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that he was the propitiation for sin. That he stood in our place, and now all those who come to him in repentance and by faith and faith alone are given eternal life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the true gospel is. That we are unworthy, but Christ came and stood in our place. Christ crucified, faith and faith alone. And through your faith, comes repentance and through that a transformation of your heart and once your heart is transformed as Paul always starts I am now a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ he starts all his epistles like that I'm a bond servant of Christ that's what you have become church a bond servant of Christ because a true gospel has ministered to your life so what do we do with all of this listen to what the father and the son did in the strawberry patch it's so cool he continued to take his son to the strawberry field over and over again until the strawberries began to taste sweet. So I tell you, church, continue to bring people to the truth of Jesus. Bring them over and over again until they are consumed by mercy, love, and grace. Continue it. So James is saying, don't be deceived. There's a lot of deception out there. Don't be deceived. 
Come back to God's truth. Stay rooted in his word. Stay rooted in Christ. Jesus said this in John 4, 16. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So truth has already been established. Truth is found in Jesus. He's saying that he's the truth. Christ has paved the way. And once you're on the paved way, it's going to lead you to the truth. And his truth, you find eternal life. You know, there has been nobody in the course of history to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. People have claimed to have the way, to know the way. They claim to have truth, to know truth, but Jesus is the only one to say that I am the truth. The only one. There is no religion in the world that offers you a savior except for Christianity. Every other religion in the world will tell you, be good, be your best, do your best here. Jesus says, I did the best for you. That's what Christ says. What was the last word on the cross? Does anybody know? It is finished. Now pick up your cross and come and follow me. It is finished. Amen. Man. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord for that. We're not deceived people in here, right? We're, there's no deception here in this church. Let's go to verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. Underline that word variation or highlight the word variation. Or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Everything good is from the Lord. But you see what happens sometimes is that our definition of good can be different than what God says is good. And a lot of times, the good that God brings forth is through something that is difficult in our lives. I'm sure many of you guys have experienced that. That through our trials, He often brings forth goodness. And listen, I understand. It's hard to see that sometimes. It's hard to see the Lord's goodness in the midst of a storm. We often question it. Lord, where is the goodness that your word promises me through these circumstances? How do we see the goodness when somebody is sick? How do we see the goodness when I'm going through a very bad financial issue? How do we see the goodness, Lord, when my marriage is broken? Lord God, when my children are rebellious? Lord God, you fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. How do we see God's goodness? But James is saying that every good gift is from above. So we aren't always going to define it good at first, but good is coming. Good is coming. It always reminds me of the scripture in Romans, Romans 8, 28, that for all things work together for the good of those who love him. These are promises of the Lord. So no matter the circumstances or the situation that you're in, good is coming. We may not understand it right now, but God is moving every puzzle piece together for the good. We went over this verse last time I was up here, and it deals with this. It's found in Hebrews. Hebrews, forgive me, I don't have the chapter. I believe it's chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you're not sons. We jump to verse 11 and it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 
to those who have been trained by it. I, I like this part. It says, later, what does it do? It's going to yield something peaceful, something righteous. So in the middle of the discipline, it's hard, but we know that things are going to work together for the good. Be trained by it. Allow your circumstance to train you. I said this last time I was up here. I'm sure many of you probably know, I've met very much older people that just walk around bitter all the time. Why do they walk around bitter? Because they have not allowed life circumstances to train them up. So instead of walking in victory, they walk in defeat. Because they allow their situations to identify them rather than allowing the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord to identify them. So be trained by your trials, church. Everything good comes from the Lord. The training in the storm is going to yield something good. That's why you have to stay strong. And as James says, don't be deceived. Don't let the doubt in. Don't let the only thing that you see be the valley that you walk in. Hang on to the promise that goodness is coming. And we always say here, God is good. We just open up with it. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Remember all the time. You guys just proclaimed it. You just said it. God is good. You guys said all the, say it all the time. And all the time. In your valley, God is good. Right? In the storm, God is good. In your circumstance, God is good. In the middle of an illness, God is good. And all the time. Hang on to that promise. Hang on to that. This next verse that we're getting into, verse 19. This verse heavily applies to me. And maybe it applies to you. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I am preaching this to myself. Maybe some of you guys receive this for yourselves as well. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, quick to hear. Something that needs to be practiced by many, myself included. It's something that this generation, we just don't do well. We don't listen the way that we ought to listen. Why? Because everyone has an opinion and everyone wants to speak and everyone wants to be heard. That's just the truth of it. We all have opinions. We all want to make known what we think. And I understand, you know, with so many different things happening in the world right now, that we want to be vocal on where we stand with certain issues. We want to comment on somebody's post. We want to tell that co-worker that they're wrong. We want to call a family member and tell them that what we think. And we just want to engage people because we want to be heard. But James is saying the opposite. He's saying, slow down and listen. Listen, be slow to speak. You know what happens when you're slow to speak? You analyze your words. And you're more likely to say something that you won't regret. Take it easy. Slow down. Some of us have, some of, some of us have a real gift to fire back when something is said to us. Is what you're firing back, building that person up or tearing them down? 
Because in the heat of the moment, when you get offended and someone says something to you and you fire something back quick, it's usually not something productive. It's usually not something nice. It's based out of emotion. So he's saying it, slow down. Our anger does not accomplish what God wants to do in our lives. Our anger clouds what he wants to do through us. It's not producing the righteousness of the Lord. Because along with our anger comes an array of other sins. Look what they say. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. I believe we find that in Galatians chapter 5. God's will cannot be accomplished if we are living in these things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. How is the Lord glorified through us when we walk in those things? When we get angry, so many things in our flesh just rise up. We want justice. We want vengeance. We want to get even. We want to speak, speak ill of people. And it takes us down a path that is not righteous. How many of you have been angry before? I better see every single hand. Everyone here has been angry. You don't want to see some people when they're driving on the palmetto, how angry they get. There are some people that, man, they know what the Miami salute is, and I'm not going to do it. But you could use your imagination what that is. But in traffic, all types of stuff comes out. All types of words come out, all types of bitterness. And, I, and listen, I get it. I understand. It wasn't until there was one day that I had a training to do down in the city of Miami, and I had to take I-95 at 8 in the morning, and man, was I saying, let me stop there. You guys know what I'm talking about, though. Things rise up when we get angry. They rise up. We just want to deal with the cause of the anger so quickly. That's why James says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Some of you are going to meet this person that's going to come to our church. He's coming in October. His name is Pastor Rafi. And I highly encourage you to please be here when he comes. He is one of our pastors from Puerto Rico. Such a wise man, an awesome pastor. He's going to come and pour out into the church in October. But years ago, Pastor Rafi came here. And he said something that has really stuck with me. He said that when someone gets us angry, the best thing to do is don't respond. Don't respond when you get that text message. Don't respond when you get that email. Don't respond when you get that phone call. Don't respond. Take a moment, take a day, take a week to analyze what the godly response is going to be. And so many times I just want to grab my phone, man, and I want to write that long text. And I want to make that phone call. And I want to have a few words with that person because of what they said. And I just can't let it go. Maybe some of you could identify with that. I just, man, I, I can't let this go what this person just told me. But I've been practicing. Be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. And be slow to anger. Because if we respond in that moment, the Christ in us does not shine. And the answer that the Lord wants to give you, don't worry, it's going to be given in time. Just don't respond at that moment. Don't respond at that moment. Look what he says in verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness 
the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Put it away. Getting angry quick is not the answer. The world gets angry quick. Anger is a characteristic of the enemy. And the world gets angry quick because they are under the power and dominion of the enemy. Jesus says it. Satan is the prince of this world for now. He's on a very short leash, but right now he's the prince of this world. And James is saying, if you are to carry yourself different, so put away the things of the world and receive the implanted word. What is the implanted word? The word that lives inside of you. The Christ that lives inside of you. The world, the word that has saved your souls. Act upon the living hope, church, that you have. Because if Satan is the prince of this world, what do you expect this world is going to be like? We see the news, we see the politics, we see all the things happening. And sometimes as Christians, we get angry with these things. We get upset, but what do you expect? The enemy rules this world. So some of these things shouldn't come as a surprise to us. The world is under the power and dominion of darkness. He is the great deceiver. And he has deceived many. He has blinded many and he will continue to do so. Until people have an encounter with Jesus. And then everything turns around. Until they have an encounter with the light of the world, until they have come to the cross of Christ, they will continue to live in darkness. They will continue to be slaves of the enemy. They will continue to be deceived. But guess what? Yeah, we know the world lives in darkness. We're Christians. We're set apart. We're set on a hill. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen generation. But guess what? That comes with a price. That comes with a price because... The Bible says that you are ambassadors of the word. And Christ has commissioned you to be the salt and light of the earth. So what are you doing with your light to bring people out of darkness? Because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do in the book of Mark. He says, now go out into the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. You are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope it's not just coming here and listening to a message on Sunday. I hope it goes way beyond that. I want you to listen to this next verse. This is the meat and potatoes of the book of James. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. Verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looked like. If you're to highlight anything in your Bible, highlight that. Highlight it. Be a doer of the word. So check it out. We come to church. We read the word. We have a preacher interpret the word. We understand the word. Then the word gives revelation to us. It gives revelation to our hearts. But then we turn away from it and we don't apply it. I fall guilty of that. 100%. Man, that is a reflection of where our heart is. Really think about this. God speaks to your heart through his word. And then we don't do anything with it. We don't act on it. James says, they are like a man in the mirror. We look at ourselves and we just turn away. We see what's wrong in the reflection, but we don't fix it. We don't do anything. I stand in front of a mirror. Man, my shirt is all jacked up. My pants are messed up. If I had hair, my hair will probably be messed up. 
and I don't fix it. I don't fix anything. I know what's wrong, and I'm just turning away. You see, he's saying it. James is saying it. Don't be like a man in the mirror that just turns away. Be doers. Let me see your fruit. That's how, that's what Jesus says, right? You're going to know them by their fruits. You're going to know that they're my disciples by their love. It's easy for people to memorize scriptures, easy for us to attend church on Sundays, but let me see what we've learned. Are you applying it to your life? Are you acting upon the active word of God? You know, the enemy knows scripture, and he probably knows scripture better than you and me. He knows it, he hears it, but he doesn't act on it. He's a hearer, but not a doer, and that's what he wants. He wants us to hear, but not to do. The enemy doesn't want us acting on God's word. It's kind of like saying this. Let me give you a little analogy here. It's like saying that you smoke five packs of cigarette a day. I don't know if anybody in here smokes five packs of cigarette. I hope not. But let's say you smoke five packs of cigarette a day, and the doctor tells you, you know, maybe you should stop smoking because it's going to kill you. But you tell the doctor, listen, doc, I receive what you're saying, I, I get it, and I know what your words are true, but I'm just not going to apply that to my life. What's the point of even going to the doctor? You go to the professional for advice, and then you don't take the counsel that he gives you. Or like when you get a new job, and you go through, you know, like the training phase in your job, you apply the skills that you learned to the job, correct? But if you don't apply what you've learned, then you're going to get fired, because you're not able to carry out the responsibilities of your job. You're hearing what's going on in the training. They're telling you this is what you have to do here to be successful in this job. And you intake all of the information. And then when it's time to work, you apply nothing that you learned. You're going to get fired. You're not going to last there very long. Imagine, is, is there anybody that's a pilot in here that flies? Nobody's a pilot? Okay, good. Imagine if you become a pilot and you went to school. But you really have no interest in applying what you learned to fly the plane. You're not going to be my pilot. If I find out I'm sitting on a plane and the person up front, yeah, I went to school, but they really have no desire to apply what they've learned in pilot school, I'm the first one off that plane. Would you board a plane if you had knowledge that the pilot was not going to do exactly what they taught him? I don't think you're going to board that plane. I definitely will not board that plane. You see, you want a pilot who is a hearer of instruction, but also applies what they've learned. If not, your plane's going to crash. It's going to crash, and many times we come and we receive a word, but we don't actually apply it. I'm not talking about Nest Church, okay? I'm talking about every other church. Not you guys. We are the royal priesthood of the Lord. Okay, we're a city set on a hill. So please don't get offended. This is not you. If it's anybody in here, it's me. Okay? So it's not Nest Church. All right? We can't just be hearers and not doers of the word. What's the point of coming to church if we don't apply the instruction given to us? This is what James is saying. These are not my words. I'm not the one saying this. It's James. He's saying be a doer. You can't just be a hearer. You have to do. Be doers. We're not called to just come here and listen. Look what he says. We deceive ourselves. 
Another warning about deception. Can I speak honestly here? Deception comes from the prince of darkness, correct? The enemy wants you to be a casual Christian. That's what he wants. Why? Because you're not a threat to his kingdom. That's just the truth of the matter. Because if you're casually walking in Christianity, he will not see that as a threat. He won't see it as a threat at all. Don't be a casual Christian because a casual Christian will be a casualty. A casual Christian will be a casualty. So if you're going to do work for the kingdom of heaven, then work with a purpose, work with intention, and work with desire. Work with desire. Work with passion. Do the work unto the Lord and be a doer of his word. Look what 1 Corinthians says, 1031. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Be laborers in the harvest. Be a doer. James is saying the people that just come and they hear and they receive and, and they do these things. You know, there's some people sitting in the churches that they have been coming to churches for years and they receive and they receive and they receive and their theology is great and they're so puffed up with scripture and they should be teachers at this point from how much they know. There's people like that. And I ask, in everything that you learn, where is the fruit of your ministry? You know the Pharisees knew scripture, yet they produced no fruit? And these are teachers of the law. People that know the Old Testament in and out, that they could recite scripture verbatim. The first five books of the Bible, they could recite them all. But there's no fruit in the labor that they do. Do you guys remember the story of the demon-possessed man that Jesus healed? A man possessed by thousands of demons. Not one, thousands of demons recognized who Jesus was. But yet the Pharisees that possessed thousands of scriptures didn't know him. Be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. They knew the word, but they didn't apply it to their lives. So be a doer. Worship team, can, you, can somebody play something in the background here? Maybe they get on a guitar. I'm towards the end, but I'm not towards the end. So I'm almost done, but I'm not almost done. I don't even know what that means, but I'm maybe we're getting there. Let's go to verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and another word for liberty is freedom, right, and perseveres, be no hero, but who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Have you ever acted on God's word and just seen the power of the Lord move? Because when you act on truth, the power of majesty of God is revealed. Look what James says. A doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So how does the blessing come into our life if we aren't acting upon it? If we aren't acting upon his word? Look what James says. Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. The law that has set you free. We've been set free because of the blood of Christ. Now act upon the freedom of which you walk in. Act upon it. Be doers of the word. Verse 26 is so powerful. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion, look what he says what religion is on verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God. 
before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So maybe true religion is not speaking so much. It's not being so puffed up with knowledge. It's not thinking that we are better than anyone else. It's not the fake stuff that you see that the people put on a show in front of you. That's not true religion. That's not what James is saying. But it's actually doing. It's taking care of those who have a need. It's loving those who the world sees as, as unlovable. Taking care of orphans. This is a crazy statistic. There's about half a million children in the foster system right now. And I looked this up. There's 380,000 churches in the United States. If each church takes one and a half children, I don't know how the half would work. But if they were to take one and a half kids, there would be no more foster system in this country. It wouldn't exist. And the crazy thing is, is that we go and adopt and we want to choose, oh, I want this nationality and I want this color eyes and I want them to be this age and I want and I want and I want this specification for a kid and, and this is what I want. How about you just take a kid? How about you just take a child that needs a home? We care for those who need love. Half a million children that are in need of a home. And we get so picky with these things. Take a kid. One child for every church, the foster system is obliterated. It's gone. It's gone. That's what we're called to do. I'm not saying, listen, that this is your calling to go now and adopt. If it is, man, praise God. Praise the Lord. But I feel that as the Western church, we need to do better in things like this. We need to love our neighbor a little bit better. We need to love children a little bit better. We need to love those who are hurting just a little bit better. Why? Because of the love of Christ is in you. That is the fruit that you're going to produce. It's love. Jesus says it, they're going to know that you are my disciples by your love. That's what true religion looks like. It's showing up for the person in their time of need. And James closes that verse by saying this, to stay unstained from the world. The world's going to bombard me with false messages. We've seen that. With things that aren't true, they're going to try to pull you every which way. But James is saying to be unstained. Don't let the world's message infiltrate you. Don't let the enemy wrap himself around you. Don't let the enemy instill that seed of doubt in you. Come back to the truth of Scripture. Come back to the promises of the Lord. When Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? He's going to try. And why is he going to try with you? Because you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. That's why. Every single person in here that has taken on the title of Christian is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. 
And that's why sometimes we come and we face these situations and we face these circumstances because the enemy wants to shake you. Man, but greater is that God that lives in me. Greater is he that is in me than that enemy that is out in the world. I hope that one day when I get to heaven, I hope they tell me, yes, the enemy knew Jesus, the enemy knew Paul, and guess what, Omar, the enemy knew your name as well. He knows exactly who you are. He knows you, Eli. The enemy knows Betsy. The enemy knows Jess. Back there in the back, Mijo, he knows you. Crystal, he knows you. Rigo Sr., he knows you. Why? Because you were a threat to his kingdom. Because while you were walking here on this earth, you were making disciples and more and more disciples multiplying the kingdom of God. And the more disciples that you have multiplied, the more they become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. That's what I want to be. That's what I want you, church, to be. A threat to the kingdom of darkness. That we stand in this world and this world is just blinded, but we are the ones that come with the light of the world. You're called to be the salt of this earth. What is salt? Salt gives things taste. In a world that is tasteless, you are here to bring the taste to them. Come and see and taste that the Lord is good. Come and see. Come and taste. Come and drink from rivers of living waters. Right? Like the Samaritan woman and Jesus tells her, if you only knew the waters that I bring, you will never thirst again. Well, church, you have been commissioned. You, have, you are an ambassador to bring people waters where they will never thirst again. You hold that power. You hold that power. Bring them to the well. Bring them to the well. You guys can stand with me today. So stay rooted in God's word. How do you stay rooted? Because of the gospel. How many times haven't I preached the gospel here? The only message in the world that has the power to transform your heart. This is the message that you need to preach to the world. And I'm not saying, listen, to come in arrogance. To come and say, oh, look how religious. That's not what I'm talking about, man. If that's what you got, then you've missed it all. Preach the gospel to people. Man, that we are unworthy to be in the presence of the Lord because of sin. You see, we have left God's ways and we have gone our own ways. We've left his word. And because of sin, we will be eternally separated from God forever if you die in that state. But let me tell you the truth of the gospel is this, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God came to this world 2,000 years ago in the form of a man in the person of Jesus Christ. And while Jesus was here, he was mocked and he was spit upon and he was beaten and he was whipped. And then they gave him a crown of thorns and they told him, pick up your cross and go to Calvary. And on Calvary, he was nailed to the cross for the sins of the world. And now by his death, burial and resurrection, we can be reconciled to God the Father. For those who repent and put their faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone. 
that by his shed blood, we have been washed clean. That's the beauty of the gospel, church, that we are guilty before God. But Jesus steps in as the greatest attorney ever, and he now pleads your case to the Father, and he says, they're good. My righteousness is imputed on them. Beautiful is what the gospel is. That is the message that we need to proclaim, church. Be doers of the word. Doers of the word. We love Christ. We love people. And if we love people, then you're a doer and you're not just a hearer. Continue loving, church. Continue acting upon the love that has loved you first. You know, there's been times in my life where I have just been a hearer of the word. I'll come and I'll receive, but I don't do anything about it. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit just tugs at your heart with conviction. Who is it that you need to call this week? Who is it that you need to sit down and have lunch with this week? What family member do you need to get around? What relationship needs to be mended? And most importantly, who needs to hear the gospel? Who needs it? It's water to my soul. I pray it's water to your soul. I know it is. It's living water. Living water that we will never thirst again because of Christ and Christ crucified. Amen. Can you join me in prayer today? Hallelujah. Give them the greatest praise. Amen. Lord God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, not for my words, but we thank you for the words that James has wrote here in Scripture, Lord. I pray, Father God, Lord, that I know I have confessed it here before the church that there has been times where I have been a hearer. When you have called us to be doers, I thank you, Lord, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, Lord God, we become doers. And I don't know, Lord, if there is somebody in here that needs to be shaken. But Lord God, I just pray, Lord, that this word has ministered to the depths of their soul. I pray, Lord, that this is just not, not a Sunday where they leave and they go have lunch and they just, they just wait for next Sunday to come. I pray that this is a transforming word to their hearts. That we do not leave here the same, Lord God. I pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this place. I thank you for your people in here today, Lord. May they walk in power, acting upon the word which has been placed upon them. I thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you the greatest praise. We give you all of the glory in here today, Father God. And together, God's people say, yes and amen. Give the Lord the greatest praise. Amen, man. God bless you guys. I hope you were blessed today. I hope you have an amazing week. And remember, you are loved. God bless you.